Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic torture that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Elizabeth Bathory has been called a lot of things. A vampire, a witch, even a werewolf. But in reality, she was far worse. Those monsters, after all, don't really exist. They're figments of our imagination, something created to keep a community's fears strictly in the realm of fairy tale. But this noblewoman and sadistic killer was very, very real. The exact extent of her crimes is debated today, but not the way she finally met her end. Join us for part two of Elizabeth Bathory, a woman who makes modern-day serial killers look like amateurs. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Last week, we met Elizabeth Bathory, a 16th century noblewoman from Hungary. On the surface, she was the perfect aristocrat, But behind closed doors, she was an unparalleled sadist, taking the art of torture to new heights. This week, we'll learn how Elizabeth's taste for murder only increased as she got older, until she had to branch out into a different kind of victim. Her insatiable appetite for death eventually led to her downfall, which, if the stories are true, put an end to one of the most brutal killing sprees ever perpetrated by one person. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. 
1602, 42-year-old Countess Elizabeth Bathory had just dodged a bullet. When local clergymen began to ask about the deaths of servant girls at her castle, Elizabeth deflected the inquiry, blaming the deaths on cholera. But the church kept digging. Eventually, the priests began to suspect her of murder. Elizabeth fought back, and as one of the most powerful women in Hungary, she didn't pull her punches. She had her husband, Count Ferenc Nadozsdi, defend her and, for good measure, pay the church off too. Soon the rumors about Elizabeth being a murderer quieted down, as did the killings for a time. But just a year later, Ferenc sustained an injury in battle that left him gravely ill. Knowing his death was imminent, he wrote a letter to his friend and fellow soldier, Jörg Torzo. He asked that Torzo protect his wife after he died. Ferenc and Elizabeth were exceptionally wealthy and wielded immense power, so it's possible Ferenc feared his death would leave his wife vulnerable. Torzo agreed to do what he could to help Elizabeth. The next day, January 4th, Ferenc was dead. Traditionally, a widow would spend a year in mourning for her husband, during which she'd focus solely on her grief. But that wasn't the case for Elizabeth. She devoted only one month to grieving. Then she got back to work managing her castle, which struck some members of the nobility as a little disrespectful. Not that they dared say anything. Now, if Elizabeth had been a more typical female killer, this is where we might talk about how she killed Ferenc. But as far as we know, she didn't have anything to do with his death, though she didn't seem devastated by the loss. The first thing she did after mourning was go on a shopping spree, reportedly spending the equivalent of about $1 million today. She seemed to be reveling in the fact that she now had total control of the family finances. But soon, her entire world would turn upside down. Just a year after Ferenc's death, armed conflict broke out in Hungary. It all started when a Protestant nobleman from neighboring Transylvania stirred up a rebellion against the Hungarian king. Like many nobles, Elizabeth was aligned with the king and his family, the royal house of Habsburg. This family governed most of Western Europe for centuries. But because the Habsburg house was Catholic and Elizabeth was Protestant, she found herself in a tricky spot. Her allegiances were constantly questioned by both Habsburg loyalists and Hungarian rebels. As a result, from 1604 to 1606, the Countess was quite literally on the run. She spent a lot of time moving between her estates, trying to find a secure residence, but she could never stay anywhere for long. Several of her castles, as well as the villages that surrounded them, were burned or occupied, first by rebels and then by imperial troops gone rogue. She wasn't safe from anyone. Even a family friend occupied one of her castles without her permission. To make things worse, she also lost two of her children, her son Andrash and her daughter Orsholya. To this day, it's unclear how they died, but they were both young, under the age of 16. Then in 1605, she lost her brother, Ishtavan. If you recall from last week, he was the alleged sexual predator who ran around in the nude. 
You wouldn't think his death would be especially difficult, but he was still Elizabeth's brother, and it seems losing him hit her hard. It may have been a turning point. On the journey home from his funeral, 45-year-old Elizabeth was riding in a carriage with her maids. At some point, she snapped. Her anger and grief bubbled over, and she began to beat the maids traveling with her. Their injuries were so severe, they later died from them. When relatives came looking for the young women, Elizabeth offered her favorite excuse. They had all died of cholera. Before we continue with Elizabeth's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. Last week, we discussed that Elizabeth often flew into a rage when she had to play hostess to her husband's troops. Now it seemed that just about anything brought out her very worst. Whenever any of her servants made the tiniest of mistakes or complaints, she'd react with violence, intense violence. Looking at this evidence, it's possible Elizabeth suffered from intermittent explosive disorder. According to the DSM-5, IED is characterized by recurring outbursts, at least three a year, that are grossly out of proportion to whatever has caused the reaction. It's difficult to pinpoint what might have triggered these outbursts in Elizabeth, though it's entirely possible it was a simple everyday stressor, like managing her household or attending a social event. Elizabeth reportedly had another spell like this after a wedding she attended in December of 1607. On the ride home, a servant girl inside her carriage began to complain, saying she was thirsty and cold. This was all it took. Elizabeth started to mock the girl so cruelly that she eventually escaped the carriage and ran away, though not for long. When the coachman caught up with her, Elizabeth demanded the girl strip naked in the frigid air. Then she was plunged neck deep into a nearly frozen river. Finally, icy water was poured over her head until the girl froze to death. Apparently, this was Elizabeth's way to decompress after a stressful trip, and she seemed to have a genuine compulsion where torture was concerned. Nothing was out of bounds. She would bludgeon her servants, whip them, beat them, burn them, make them drink their own urine. She would even sew their lips together and leave them to die in the cold. According to witness statements, she seemed to have less control of her outbursts the older she got, and nobody was able to stop her. Sometime between 1609 and 1610, 49-year-old Elizabeth moved for the last time. She settled back at Castle Chastitsa in what would be Western Slovakia today. It was the start of a new chapter for her, one that would see the worst of her tendencies come to light. She brought along her most trusted and highest-ranking servants, who by now were also her accomplices. Their job was twofold, procure a steady stream of maids and seamstresses for Elizabeth to torture, and then join in the fun. Her cruelty crew was composed of one young man and four older women, including Anna Darvulia, Elizabeth's closest confidant. As we mentioned last week, Anna is thought to have taught Elizabeth most of her torture technique, and it's believed she was even more sadistic than the Countess. The crew also had another job, 
getting rid of the bodies. If burial space was limited, and it usually was, they buried corpses under floorboards or threw them over the castle walls, where wild dogs would find them. Once at Chashtitsa, the accomplices got to work pulling in local girls for work at the castle. In an effort to entice families to send their daughters, some families were offered bribes. But when the girls didn't come home, word started to spread. Pretty soon, the local peasantry were hiding their girls whenever the countess's staff came knocking. The situation became dire, so Elizabeth came up with a new plan. She wouldn't go after the daughters of peasants anymore. She'd try a new crop of victim, the daughters of her friends. She decided to start a finishing school for well-born young women. Families of the nobility wouldn't suspect a thing. They'd be only too happy to send Elizabeth their girls. They'd learn etiquette, ladylike behavior, and domestic skills, all from a noblewoman herself. But it wasn't all they'd experience under Elizabeth's roof. To Elizabeth's thinking, it was a brilliant idea, except for one thing. Unlike the peasantry, nobles weren't going to stay quiet if and when their daughters disappeared. When that happened, they'd be out for blood. Up next, we'll take a look inside Elizabeth's bloody finishing school. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from ParCast, The Kennedys. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite ParCast hosts, including me, covering every angle of The Kennedys from shows like Conspiracy Theories, Unsolved Murders, Crime Countdown, and others assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow the Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. By 1609, 49-year-old Countess Elizabeth Bathory had moved to one of her smaller estates, Castle Chashtitsa. There, she doubled down on torturing her servants until she literally ran through them. Facing an end to her favorite hobby, she came up with an alternate plan. She would open a gymnasium, also known as a finishing school. 
the well-born would send their daughters and even pay her tuition. Ostensibly, the girls would receive training in how to be a proper lady, and Elizabeth would have a steady stream of young blood to spill. Once the parents had turned their girls over to her, she could do anything she wanted. And it appears that she did. Once the girls were locked in the castle, there were reports of crying and the sounds of beatings heard from behind the walls. Some staff reported several girls in chains shackled to the bank of a creek with their faces beaten and bruised. One worker who came in to do a job at the castle said he saw a naked girl chained to a table. Others were strung up by their hair near the windows. And those are just the eyewitness accounts. The list of alleged offenses is even more ghastly. And just a warning, it's not for the squeamish. Elizabeth and her accomplices were said to have stuck knives into the girls' feet and hands, washed them with nettles, flogged their breasts, pricked them with needles, used pliers to peel off their skin, clamped their mouths, cut their fingers off with scissors, and forced red-hot pokers into their vaginas. They also cut chunks of flesh from their bodies, cooked them, and made the girls eat pieces of themselves. It's hard to tell whether it was stories like these that earned the Countess her reputation as a vampire, or whether these horrific claims came about as a result of her vampiric image. Needless to say, most if not all of these sessions are said to have ended in death. And what did she have to say when their parents came to collect them and received the bad news that they died? She had an answer for that too. Elizabeth announced that one of the students had killed her classmates in order to steal their jewelry. But then that girl had killed herself when her crimes were discovered. Murdering young girls and then trying to blame the deaths on one of her victims is so evil that it's hard to comprehend. It seems Elizabeth was completely disconnected from reality. Tethered to the real world or not, the Countess's crimes make her notable, even more than she already was, because she killed several victims in the same location at the same time. She falls into a bizarre category, being one of the few widely known female mass murderers. Mass murder is the killing of four or more people in a short time at a single location without any cooling off period. Typically, we only see this in extreme cases like terrorism, genocide, and school shootings. Often the victims are targeted for being in the same social group, whether they're students of a high school, family members, or belong to the same religion. But mass murder is rare for females to commit. It's almost uniformly a male phenomenon. James Garbarino, a psychologist at Loyola University Chicago, admits female mass murder is so rare that it just hasn't been studied. In any case, the death toll inflicted at Elizabeth's hand suggests she was operating on a level of violence typically associated with only the most disturbed male perpetrators. And her victim's parents saw right through her story. They could tell something was very wrong. Meanwhile, a local pastor named Reverend Barosius had been keeping a list of burials requested by the Countess. 
In his notebook, he recorded that Elizabeth buried nine girls in a single night, all dead from unknown causes, but with terrible injuries. When he asked Elizabeth what happened, she snapped at him to not ask questions. Later, his successor, Reverend Pony Canoes, found the bodies while investigating a system of tunnels that connected the church and Elizabeth's castle. He followed a horrible stench in the tunnels to find nine mutilated corpses in open coffins. It's unclear whether these were the nine that Barosius had buried, or if these were another set of nine girls. Ponykanus wrote two letters detailing his find and sent them off immediately. The first went to the king, and the second went to the second most powerful person in the country, the Palatine of Hungary. This turned out to be none other than Elizabeth's family friend, Georg Turzo, the very man sworn to protect her. Turzo had become Palatine in 1609, just before Elizabeth opened up her school. By early 1610, the rumors surrounding Elizabeth had reached him, both from the priests and from concerned parents. This time, Elizabeth's husband wasn't around to pay off the church, and nothing could quiet the disgruntled upper class whose daughters were murdered. So in February of 1610, the king demanded that Turzo open an official investigation into Countess Bathory. By June, Turzo had amassed over three dozen witnesses, who all swore that the countess frequently engaged in torture and murder. But at this point, it was little better than hearsay, and Turzo knew he'd have to catch her in the act or have definitive proof. For her part, Elizabeth sensed something was up. She could feel the walls closing in on her. She knew that if she were to be arrested, her estates would automatically be given to the king, unless she gave them away first. So on September 3, 1610, in a new will and testament, she divested her various properties to her children. Now her assets would be safe, no matter what happened to her. By this stage, the king wanted to imprison the countess for her inhuman and ferocious acts, but Turzo was still hesitant to bring charges without sufficient evidence. Not only would arresting someone of her social stature cause a scandal, he had promised her dying husband that he would protect her. Unsure how to proceed, Turzo asked Elizabeth's children for their advice on how to proceed. They simply asked that their mother be spared a trial where she would be tortured, as was customary for Hungary at the time. They also asked that any punishment not be made public, as it would bring intense shame to their family. Turzo agreed. But before he made any moves to arrest her, Turzo needed to be absolutely certain that the Countess was guilty. So he and the King arranged to meet her at her home on Christmas Eve, 1610. And here's where the rumors about Elizabeth's status as a witch take off. Elizabeth knew that the king and Turzo were on their way to her castle, and she had a shrewd idea what the meeting was about. With no way out, she turned to the occult to help with her predicament. Just before their visit, she allegedly spent an entire night performing magic with a forest witch. 
The two women apparently attempted to curse the king and Georg Turzo by asking for 90 cats to eat their hearts. So far as we know, the spell didn't work. On that same dark night, Elizabeth had one request. She wanted something to give her protection from the men who were coming to arrest her. The witch made her some gray dough using dirty bathwater and other ingredients. She braided it like a pretzel and put a communion wafer in the center. Then, in some sort of ritual, Elizabeth reportedly used the gray dough to cast a spell to render herself invisible from her enemies. Unfortunately, Elizabeth remained stubbornly visible. Soon after, Turzo and the king arrived to eat dinner with the countess. We don't know much about their conversation, but we can imagine it was an uncomfortable meal, to say the least. Elizabeth's male accomplice, a man named Fitzko, later said that she had made several of these gray doughs to feed Turzo and the king. It seems her hope was to at least poison them. Both men fell ill after the meal and left in haste. But besides some digestive issues, the attempt on their lives was unsuccessful. And now, Turzo and the king knew that she had tried to poison them. It was finally the cause Turzo needed to arrest her. Soon after the dinner, Parliament finally laid charges of murder against the Countess. Days later, an angry mob gathered outside Castle Chashtitsa. Armed guards broke down the doors to search the premises, and what they found inside was worse than anyone imagined. There were bodies everywhere. Up next, we'll learn about the carnage found inside the castle and the hordes of witnesses who came forward. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story. After all of the students at Countess Elizabeth Bathory's finishing school mysteriously died, an investigation was launched into her crimes. Even after dozens of witnesses came forward to say she was torturing and killing girls, there still wasn't enough to arrest her. 
But when Elizabeth tried to poison the king and his second-in-command, they knew it was time to bring charges. On December 29, 1610, 50-year-old Elizabeth was eating dinner, or deep into a sadomasochistic orgy, depending on who you ask, when she heard a commotion outside of her castle. Before she knew it, a squad of armed guards burst in and wrestled her out of her dining room. Her old family friend, Gjörg Turzo, was outside waiting for her and told her that she was under arrest. Elizabeth struggled and shouted as she was brought outside, where an angry, torch-carrying mob screamed at her. But inside, a bloody scene straight out of a slasher film greeted Torzo and his guards. Mutilated corpses, girls flogged, burned, and drained of blood were strewn across the floor. Other bodies in various stages of decomposition were chained to the walls. One girl was still alive, but bleeding profusely, the flesh having been gouged from her shoulders and back. She told the guard that the countess had beaten her, and then a servant named Codelin had pulled her skin off with pliers. Then hearing screaming from another room, Turzo took his guards to investigate. They swung open a door to a chamber and found four of Elizabeth's accomplices viciously torturing a servant girl. Another young woman sobbed in the corner and watched, apparently waiting her turn. Outside, Elizabeth demanded that she be released immediately. Instead, Turzo reportedly grabbed her by her hair and dragged her to where her servants had just been caught. Defiant, but unable to make an excuse for the grisly scene, Elizabeth watched quietly as her cruelty crew was taken away in chains. They were held in another castle while Elizabeth was confined to her home alone. While she waited, hundreds of witnesses came forward to testify against her. By January 1st, 1611, just three days later, all of Elizabeth's remaining accomplices had turned against her. As was standard with the Hungarian legal system at the time, all four of them were tortured into confessing. In an empty chair defense, the four key witnesses slash defendants named Anna Darvulia as the ringleader. She had died from a stroke by this point, so she couldn't defend herself. But even after they threw Anna under the bus, Elizabeth's accomplices took the opportunity to foist plenty of blame onto the Countess as well. Fitzko said that the Countess had commanded her accomplices to torture and kill the girls, and often did the honors herself. Over the course of about two months, a staggering 306 people testified against Elizabeth. They were former servants, townspeople, groundskeepers, maids, seamstresses, and various members of the nobility. However, only eight had actually seen Elizabeth beat servants with their own eyes. These testimonies revealed the most vile accusations of torture and debauchery. And though it seemed clear that the castle was a place of horrors, some details were definitely less crystallized. Her accomplices said Elizabeth had killed either 30 or 50 girls, while other staff insisted the number was closer to 200. 
For her part, Elizabeth blamed her accomplices for torturing the girls and said she herself was afraid of them. But the most stunning revelation came toward the end of the trial, when a young maid named Susanna approached the stand. She testified that the Countess kept a handwritten ledger that documented the deaths of all of her victims. And the number of people on the list was staggering. According to Susanna, Elizabeth Bathory had killed 650 girls. However, without the ledger in hand, it was difficult to cross-examine Susanna. For the most part, Susanna's testimony was considered hearsay at the time. But her shocking claim still echoes through history as if it were fact. And Elizabeth wasn't the only noble whose crimes were exposed during the trial. The proceedings shed light on the involvement of Elizabeth's late husband, the war hero Ferenc Nadozhdi, as well as others. This was perhaps an unintended consequence of King Matyash's furious pursuit of justice. He reportedly realized that Elizabeth's story could open a can of worms and reveal the complicity of other nobles who also behaved in heinous ways toward their servants. The king's realization might have been part of the reason Elizabeth didn't appear at her own trial. She was detained in her castle on suicide watch until a verdict came in declaring her guilty. King Matyash wanted the death sentence for her so that her land would be ceded to the crown. But Turzo knew that if Elizabeth was sentenced to death, it would humiliate her illustrious family and set a dangerous precedent for the aristocracy. So as punishment for her crimes, Elizabeth was condemned to spend the rest of her life imprisoned in Castle Chashtitsa. It seems like little more than a slap on the wrist for one of history's most frightening killers. Her outrageous number of victims aside, Elizabeth does fall into a certain category of serial killer. If we were to profile her using the Holmes typology, which is a system of classifying serial killers, Elizabeth would likely be considered a hedonistic serial killer. Hedonistic killers usually have one of two possible motives, lust or thrill. For a lust killer, their ultimate motive is sexual gratification from an extensive and elaborate killing. Thrill killers also kill for pleasure, though not of the sexual variety. Thrill killings often involve extended torture and excessive cruelty. Judging from the delight she seemed to take in sadism, we can speculate that Elizabeth was most likely a thrill-motivated killer. These individuals tend to want a measure of control over the victim, and they'll usually take special care to dispose of their victims' bodies discreetly. But Elizabeth's facade of respectability made her crimes hard to see, let alone define. Her duplicity made her powerful and dangerous. The longer she got away with her crimes, the more she felt invincible. It likely felt to the Countess that she could kill with apparent impunity. It was this false sense of immortality that eventually led to her downfall. Her status also protected her from what would be a brutal and public death sentence for someone of lower birth. 
In a way, Turzo fulfilled his promise to Elizabeth's late husband and protected the Countess from a worse fate. Elizabeth's accomplices were not so lucky. Two of the women had their fingers plucked from their hands with red-hot tongs before their bodies were thrown into a bonfire. Comparatively, Fitzgo got off easy. He was beheaded before he was burned. The third woman, whose testimony revealed she was less involved in the torture than the others, and often tried to prevent further harm to the victims, was thrown in jail for life. Elizabeth Bathory spent the final two and a half years of her life locked in the tower of Castle Chashtitsa. She was allowed to receive visitors and gifts, like food and parchment, but over time, they stopped coming. Slowly, Elizabeth was forgotten by the outside world. She had no servants to dress or undress her, so she very well may have spent the whole time trapped in the same extravagant gown that she was arrested in. She was fed through a slot in her door, forced to eat the same food as the guards. When her supply of parchment ran out, she started writing on the walls of her chamber. Some historians think the messy scrawls she left behind were the desperate incantations of a would-be witch. But just like before, her magic failed her. On August 21, 1614, Elizabeth complained to one of her guards that her hands were cold. He dismissed her concern, but the Countess seemed to know what was happening to her. She lay down on her bed and started singing a sad lament. Two hours past midnight, Elizabeth Bathory was dead. She was 54. She was buried beneath the church at Chashtitsa in November 1614. The locals complained about such an evil woman being buried on consecrated ground, so her body was reportedly moved to the Bathory estate in 1617. However, Elizabeth Bathory's final resting place is an enduring mystery. In 1938, the Chashtitsa Church Cemetery was excavated and no trace of her remains were found. In 1995, the Bathory estate crypts were opened and her tomb was empty. Some have speculated that the Countess was ultimately buried in an unmarked grave in Lekka, Sharvar. Or if you believe the legends, perhaps she rose from her grave, ready to roam the earth in search of new victims. Whether she was an actual monster, Elizabeth Bathory's crimes seem to defy what we consider most women or most human beings capable of. Regardless of her gender, Elizabeth's story is as shocking today as it was in the 1600s. But there's a twist that some historians have noted in the years since her death. Elizabeth Bathory was single, wealthy, and powerful, and a woman. And it's this combination of factors that might have led to a conspiracy against her. There's little doubt that the Countess murdered dozens, if not hundreds, of young women. But some scholars believe that Elizabeth was framed by Georg Turzo and the Hungarian crown. Her wealth was too vast, her power too great. She had to be eliminated. 
and her habit of murder was just a convenient excuse. Conspiracy or not, the Countess is still thought to be guilty of some of the most horrific murders. The stories of her crimes spread throughout the years, doubtlessly receiving embellishments and revisions so many times that it's nearly impossible to separate fact from fiction. But through all the tellings, one thing remained stalwart, the image of a terrifying, merciless monster. Some called her a vampire, others said she was a werewolf. It's not hard to see why. Her insatiable hunger to inflict pain and kill is the stuff of nightmares. She had no remorse and operated without fear of repercussion. It took a king to finally put a stop to her reign of terror. Elizabeth Bathory wasn't a storybook beast. No, she was worse. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on the Blood Countess Elizabeth Bathory, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Infamous Lady, the true story of Countess Erzabeth Bathory by Kimberly Kraft, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Katie Waldron, with writing assistance by Joanna Philbin and Joel Callen, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Fact, fiction, fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.